4: On this episode of Newt's World, my guest today is a good friend and somebody I've admired for many, many years, Peter Schweitzer. He says that in a quarter century as an investigative journalist, the research for his new book, Red-Handed, and I'm quoting Peter, is, quote, the scariest investigation he's ever conducted. We've known for many years that the Chinese government has been trying to infiltrate American institutions. What is wholly new, however, are the number of American elites who are eager to help the Chinese dictatorship in its quest for global power. Presidential families, Silicon Valley gurus, Wall Street high rollers, Ivy League universities, even professional athletes are all willing to sacrifice American strength and security on the altar of personal enrichment. In Red Handed, Peter presents his most alarming findings by revealing the secret deals wealthy Americans have cut to help China build its military, technological, and economic might. Peter and his team of forensic investigators spent over a year scouring a massive trove of global corporate records and legal filings to expose the hidden transactions China's enablers hoped would never see the light of day. Red-handed exposes the nexus of power between the Chinese government and the American elites who do its bidding. So I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Peter Schweitzer, who's the author of many investigative books, but in particular, Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Peter, listen, thank you for coming on Newt's World to talk about Red-Handed. Now, you recently were on Mark Levin, and you revealed that Hunter Biden and the Biden family have received $31 million. Can you go into detail about how you uncovered that and what the source of that money was?
2: Yeah, Newt, I'm glad to. You know, I first broke the story about the Biden family's commercial ties with China back in 2018, involving the private equity deal that Hunter was put on the board of and a few other deals. What we've been able to do since then, Newt, is take new material from Hunter Biden laptop, material from email accounts, from some of his business partners that share those with us and with other new corporate records that have emerged. And what we've been able to do is do two things. First, we've been able to quantify some of those deals. So there are five deals that come up to some $31 million. One of them is a $20 million deal where he gets an ownership stake in a private equity company. Another one is a $5 million transfer that is sent to another one of his businesses, etc. But what's interesting, Newt, is not just the amount of money. It's the origins of that money. We wanted to trace back and find out. So the vice president's son at the time goes to China and wants to do business. Who opens the doors for him? Who puts these deals together? Who makes sure he gets a seat at the table? Even though he has nothing really, professionally speaking, business-wise, he has nothing to bring to the table. And what we found, Newt, is that there were five individuals who made that happen, businessmen, and each one of them has links to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. One of them was business partners with the vice minister for state security. Another one was business partners with a family of a former head of a China spy apparatus, the Ministry of State Security. So this is not a story anymore just about corruption and self-dealing. It's a story about intelligence. It's a story possibly about espionage. And it's a story that leads us to a fundamental question. And that is, is the Biden family compromised? And we
4: need to have that conversation. Why do you think it's been so hard to have that conversation?
2: That's a great question. I think there's a number of factors. One is you have people in Washington, D.C. on both sides of the aisle that have commercial ties with China. They don't want to have the broader conversation. I think that's part of it. I think you have a lot of news organizations that are owned by companies that have deep ties in China. That presents a certain problem. You also have, though, the complex nature of the story. Again, it took us a year and a half to get to the bottom of this. A lot of news outlets don't have the resources for it. Finally, I think there is a notion in at least some reporters that they believe that Donald Trump represents kind of an existential threat to the American Republic, you know, that he's a coup leader in waiting, however you want to say it. And so they have decided that there is a greater need to not weaken any of his political competitors. So I think that's a component as well.
4: One of the weirdest things in Red Handed, at least from my perspective, you point out That Hunter Biden actually was paying for multiple phone lines for his father for 11 years while he was in office as a senator or vice president. Isn't that kind of strange? (laughs)
2: Yes, it is. I mean, you're far more comfortable at the highest levels of political office. And I understand people want to talk to their kids and their families. But this was a $300 a month AT&T phone bill for Joe Biden while he was vice president. It was paid by Hunter Biden's business, Rosemont Seneca. By the way, a clear violation of the law. If you look at the ethics laws and restrictions, if you're related to a politician, you can buy them gifts for Christmas, but you can't pay their bills and you certainly can't use your business to pay their bills. And that's another part of this big story, Nude is people consider this a Hunter Biden story. It's really a Biden family story, because the other thing you find is that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden have blurred finances, that Hunter Biden is paying for his bills. One of them, this is $300 a month phone bill, but he's also paying for renovations on Joe Biden's private residence up in Delaware to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. So the point is when Hunter Biden benefits and gets these foreign deals, one of the beneficiaries is actually his father who's having his bills paid by his son.
4: So is he personally paying for the renovation or is his company paying?
2: It's a little bit unclear because we have the emails where they're discussing making payments out of certain accounts. Those accounts are not Joe Biden's accounts. They are Hunter Biden accounts. Whether they are corporate or personal is unclear. But what is clear is that Joe Biden is benefiting. It's also clear that James Biden, that's Joe Biden's brother, also has received millions of dollars from these Chinese deals. So this is a Biden family enterprise.
4: I have to say it's a little weird that a U.S. senator and then vice president can't pay, assuming that for some reason he wouldn't have a private phone, which I suspect the Secret Service would be very dubious about, but that he can't pay it out of his own pocket. This whole thing is kind of strange. Well, you know, that's an
2: interesting point, Newt. In looking through this story, I have to say in a strange way. I became a little bit more sympathetic to Hunter Biden. And don't get me wrong, Hunter Biden is doing a lot of bad things. But one of the things you find in the emails is that Hunter Biden's under a lot of pressure. At one point, he writes to his daughter, don't worry, I'm not going to have you do what I have to do with Pop, which is send him half my money. Now, You could look at that and say, "Okay, maybe he's just griping, maybe it's hyperbole. The problem is you've got all these bills that Hunter Biden is actually paying for his father. So to me, part of what's going on here is Hunter, in effect, is the bag man for the family because he's paying his dad's bills. He's paying some of his niece's bills. The money is being spread around and the pressure is on Hunter to deliver this for the family.
4: At the same time, I notice the discrepancy that Back in 2014, 2015, he's asking for Secret Service support and protection if he goes to Europe, but he's asking to not have the Secret Service with him when he goes to China. I mean, it strikes me as kind of more than mildly strange. You would think he'd want Secret Service in China at least as much as in Europe.
2: Yeah, no question about it. I mean, what we know, the Secret Service has confirmed it. They confirmed it to the U.S. Senate that in the summer of 2014, Hunter Biden comes to them and says, I do not want Secret Service protection when I'm traveling overseas. Now, my understanding from people who have dealt with the Secret Service, who know the Secret Service, they would not look favorably upon that kind of a request. They would resist it, but it's up to the principle, meaning if Hunter Biden says, I do not want you around, He is entitled to request that. So he requests that. But you find later in emails, there are instances where he's going to Europe or he's traveling in the United States where he says, I would like Secret Service protection for this particular occasion. You do not find a single instance where that happens related to China. So in general, no Secret Service protection. And look, this is at a time where obviously he has drug problems or other things going on. But it's very, very clear For at least one reason, if not a multitude of reasons, he does not want a U.S. law enforcement agency to know where he's going, who he's meeting with and what he's doing. And I think it has something to do with the drug use. But I also think it has a lot to do with the specific people he's dealing with when he goes to China.
4: You know, one of the things I got interested in and I thought it was a mistake that the Trump people never really pursued it aggressively is this whole Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania, which you point out. When the Biden Center was announced that it was going to open at the University of Pennsylvania, donations from the Chinese to Penn almost tripled. And three years before the announcement, the university received about $15 million. In the three years after, the total was close to $40 million. And if you include contracts, the number jumps up to $60 million. Much of the Chinese money that flowed to the University of Pennsylvania after the opening of the Biden Center is anonymous. We don't know who it comes from, but I don't think you get that kind of money out of China without Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party being happy with the deal. And it's interesting, I think, to this day, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Biden Center still remains invisible in terms of reporting any of their transactions. So here you have a guy running for president, and now president, who is involved with a center which got millions and millions of dollars, probably from China, although since it's secret, they could claim, well, they don't know what the University of Pennsylvania did with all that money. But can you walk us through some of that? Because it strikes me as one of the weirder things about Joe Biden's background.
2: It's a great point, Newt. The Biden Center is opened up when Joe Biden leaves the vice presidency. And He's given a position at the University of Pennsylvania, a $900,000 a year salary. He's obviously not teaching classes or anything. And the Biden Center is established. It's a little bit like what the Clinton Foundation was for the Clintons. It becomes a place for a lot of Joe Biden's staffers to collect paychecks. So. This is about Joe Biden. It's also about Tony Blinken, who is the secretary of state. He was the managing director of the Biden Center for a while. Steve Rachetti who is, I believe, White House counselor, was also drawing a paycheck there. And so you see this money, this Chinese money flowing into the University of Pennsylvania. We don't know how much of it ends up at the Biden Center. But it's curious, as I point out in the book, there is a million dollar check that comes from a Chinese company that is a major owner of a firm called China Molybdenum, which is a company that mines very specialized minerals, that exact company does a deal with Hunter Biden's Chinese financial firm in Africa. So you see this strange overlap between companies that are helping to pay Hunter Biden in his private equity arrangements But also there are connections to making donations to the University of Pennsylvania. And I should add, Newt, that the Biden Center set up a page describing its purpose, which was to support liberal democracies and international law around the world. They identified three threats. One of them was Russia, which, of course, Putin's Russia is a threat. Number two is climate change. And number three is terrorism. Never once was China mentioned as a threat by the Biden Center?
4: Let me go back just for a second to your reference to Tony Blinken. So here you have a guy who had been the staffer in the Senate on the Foreign Relations Committee for Biden. He ends up running a center which is probably, again, we don't have proof because they refused to release the details, but probably heavily funded by the Chinese Communist. And now he is the Secretary of State, which may explain why he was so passive in that first meeting in Alaska with the Chinese foreign minister who lectured him severely. And Blinken just kind of took it, didn't defend America at all. This is like a circus. I mean, how do you think about Blinken in that context?
2: I think it's vitally important to understand that because Blinken, of course, was also involved in a consultancy called West Exec. And one of their areas of specialization was helping U.S. colleges do deals with China while also retaining Department of Defense contracts, because you obviously know the national security implications of China with DOD research. Blinken is a very interesting character in this because, as I point out in the book, one of the things that he infamously was reportedly involved in was – The situation back in the Obama administration, when the highest ranking defector from China, an intelligence official, defected to the United States. He actually got to the U.S. Embassy in China by dressing in women's clothes and in the middle of the night getting to the U.S. Embassy. This occurred right before a summit that was supposed to happen between Barack Obama and President Xi. Blinken reportedly was the U.S. official that said, you know, we can't take this guy. We need to send him back. The highest ranking security official ever to defect to the United States did, in fact, go back. Reportedly, it was Blinken that pushed aggressively for that. And of course, he got 15 plus years in jail. So, yes, the problem with the Bidens in China is Hunter Biden and the family. But it's also Tony Blinken, and it's also his national security advisor, who, of course, was paid in a fellowship at Yale University at a center that is financed by the co-founder of Alibaba and is a major apologist, talks about the fact that communist China is a great country, it's misunderstood, no human rights problems, et cetera. So you've got this sort of consortium of relationships that I think are of concern.
1: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The
3: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet?
4: You also lay out a very interesting case about Bill Gates and Microsoft and the degree to which Microsoft was prepared to, in effect, help the Chinese communist dictatorship police human rights by censoring things and by shaping Microsoft offerings in China to fit the dictatorship's requirements. I mean, that apparently became a fairly significant part of Microsoft.
2: Yes. Bill Gates has always been interested in the Chinese market. He was granted access to the Chinese market. He sells a lot of software to the Chinese government, not just Chinese businesses, to the Chinese government. And that's come with a price. Part of it is censoring communications. They used to have platforms for blogging, etc. They don't really have those as much anymore, but they were actively censoring. But Microsoft has also done something else, I think, very concerning, Newt, and that is that they are doing joint research in artificial intelligence in China with institutions that are known to be directly controlled by the Chinese military. And artificial intelligence is one of those areas where President Xi has said This is the heart of the competition with the United States. And if we can win the race in artificial intelligence, we can seize, in his words, the commanding heights when it comes to this competition with the United States. Microsoft is actually funding and supporting Chinese efforts in this behalf. Google is doing the same thing. So it's this very bizarre situation where they are subsidizing our military competitor. On top of that, Bill Gates is an advisor of sorts to President Xi. He was brought into the Chinese Academy of Engineering, which sounds like this wonderful sort of scientific organization. As I point out in the book and quote extensively from the organization itself, it's actually controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. And part of its role is to advise the president to expand the technological capabilities of the Chinese state. And Bill Gates is a member and actively involved in that organization.
4: It's doubly interesting because I just read a brief article last week that the Chinese now have an artificial intelligence television moderator. It's apparently, I guess, a hologram, but driven by artificial intelligence on Chinese television. I have no idea what that means. And certainly, given the quality of some of our television moderators, artificial intelligence would probably be a major step up. But it's clear that if you look at everything they're doing, They're making major investments in technological advance. And in a disturbing number of cases, some of our biggest and most sophisticated companies are hand-in-glove with them, I think in part just drawn by the sheer scale of the Chinese market and the opportunity, I mean, you're pitting billions and billions of dollars over the course of the next 10 or 20 years. And as a result, it seems to me, they have a tendency to be prepared to enable the Chinese to be dramatically more capable than they would be without the influx of American money and American technology. And I'm very struck with the degree to which culturally people are prepared to just bend over backwards. You saw recently, of course, the head of a basketball team explaining that nobody actually cares about what happens to the Uyghurs. The head of Nike's announced that Nike's really a Chinese company. As you went through your research, did you find this occurring more and more often?
2: Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things going on there, Newt. I think you're absolutely right. The lure of the Chinese market, its size, is an enormous attraction to U.S. corporate leaders. I think we've also seen culturally sort of a waning of the sense that corporations and corporate executives view themselves as Americans. And in fact, some of these CEOs aren't even Americans. They're from other countries. I think, though, in some instances, there's more at work than just that. I think there is a attraction to the Chinese dictatorship. And what do I mean by that? You find a lot of people in Silicon Valley and Wall Street who talk about openly the efficiency of the Chinese system. They just get things done. They get things across the goal line. Things are so much more effectively done there. I think that is an attraction for some of these CEOs. They almost prefer an autocratic regime to a representative democracy and everything that comes with that. But finally, I think particularly in the tech space, there's something maybe even deeper at work. I quote from a professor, Wiesenbaum, who taught computer science at MIT in the 1970s. And I quote him as saying that, you know, computer programmers can develop an almost godlike complex because they get to construct their own universe They get to code and determine what happens within this space. So Zuckerberg and the people at Facebook, they create this universe of Facebook and they have more power in that sense than any general, any politician, any other businessman has had. And his point was the lure of technology and that absolute power can spill over into other areas. And I really do believe some of these tech executives and visionaries have this attraction to a dictatorial regime because they've had that in their business model throughout their life.
4: So what do you think the American response should be to having corporations that are prepared, and for that matter, billionaires and hedge fund billionaires, who are prepared to routinely side with tyranny and oppression against the interests of the United States?
2: That's a great question. The last chapter in the book is actually called Fighting Back. And I'm sure you have some very good ideas on this, too, that I'd love to hear I think it has to be a combination of things. I think, first of all, we have to separate the corporate conduct that we don't like, that is perhaps commercially based. And then we have to look at those elements of what corporations are doing that enhance the Chinese military in their competition with the United States. I don't think there's any reason why we should legally allow American corporations like Google and Microsoft to do joint research with foreign military connected laboratories. I mean, It just should be outlawed. I can't imagine during the Cold War you know american computer companies ibm saying oh we're going to do research with this university in moscow that is linked to the military so i think there's certain things we can do in terms of just outright banning it i think when it comes to corporations being afraid to speak about issues like human rights and concerns about forced labor i encourage people to engage in shareholder activism you can buy shares in the company there are organizations that do this already show up at shareholder meetings And ask people like Warren Buffett, ask the head of Google, you know, why is this company doing this? Why are you taking this position? I think they get deeply embarrassed when they have to discuss it. That's why a lot of times they don't want to discuss it, but they ought to be called out. And then finally, there are things in Washington. We have, I recount in the book, More than 20 former senators and senior members of Congress that are lobbyists for not just Chinese companies, but lobbyists for Chinese military and intelligence linked companies. I believe that you and I, because of the Constitution, have a right to petition our government. I believe American corporations do. I don't think the founders intended to allow foreign military and intelligence linked companies to hire former politicians to lobby in Washington. I think that needs to be banned as well.
4: Yeah, I saw where one prominent Democrat had been paid a million dollars by Huawei to lobby the Biden White House.
2: Yes. And in fact, we quote from the Huawei message board in China, where they say, oh, this is great. Now we've got the political influence operation at the highest levels. I mean, that's how they view it.
4: Yeah, well, and they're right. I mean, (laughs) look, they understand that they're seeking to buy influence, even if we lie to ourselves about it. But, you know, I mean, one of the most interesting to me, has been this whole relationship between the National Basketball Association and China. You have these institutions that, here at home, are trying to be very woke and very sensitive and very sympathetic. And then they get to China and they basically say, hey, there's too much money involved. You can't expect me to be sympathetic. What's your take on the whole NBA-China relationship?
2: Yeah, I think, look, they see the size of the market. There are a lot of NBA fans in China. The problem is, as you point out, this is a league that has prided itself on allowing its athletes to be outspoken. And you have this bizarre situation where one of the owners in the NBA is a guy named Joe Tsai. He is a co-founder of Alibaba. I quote him extensively in the book. He goes around the country speaking at college campuses saying, oh, no, no you misunderstand communism in China. Everything is great in China. Don't worry about human rights abuses. At the same time, Newt, he gives $100 million to Black Lives Matter related groups and talks about how unjust and terribly oppressive the American system is. I mean, it's ridiculous. And none of the colleagues call him out. You look at LeBron James, who again, won't be critical of China. He's been that way for a long time. He has extensive commercial deals in China, not just through Nike. His company has a relationship with Chinese state media to distribute some of his film projects. He has a special shoe line that is just for elites in China. They pay top dollar for it. It has Chinese symbols on it and everything. And he has been quiet and criticizing the Chinese regime from the beginning. Back in 2007, you would remember the massacres that were taking place in Darfur, where an estimated two to three hundred thousand black Christians were killed by the regime. That regime was backed by China. There was a petition drive in the NBA to call out China for supporting this massacre of black Christians. LeBron James refused to sign the petition. You know, so his silence has been deafening. Again, I think the solution here is these individuals need to be shamed. They need to be called out. And it's up to the media to do that. If you work for ESPN or other people that are interviewing athletes like this, you need to call them out on this.
3: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. (sighs)
0: Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
2: Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor.
0: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu.
2: Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.
4: Let me go back to, in a sense, where we started, and that's the Congress. As you were developing red-handed how deep did you find the penetration of behaviors that are clearly wrong among members of Congress?
2: Well, it's a good question. I mean, when you look at what does China want from elites in the West that it's doing deals with, and there's this Chinese intelligence approach that loosely translated to English means big help with a little bad mouth. And what they mean is they don't mind if people call them out on the Uyghurs occasionally. They understand that that has to happen. The main thing is, are you going to restrict our access to technology and capital markets? That's what we care about. So that's kind of the standard. And if you look at Congress, I mean, there are people that have commercial ties towards China. They don't particularly say pro-China things. Mitch McConnell would be an example of this. But he really is resistant on issues related to restrictions on free trade with China. Doesn't seem to be particularly motivated on some of these technology issues we've talked about. So that's one example. You could then look at Dianne Feinstein from California, senator, a former chairman of the Senate Intelligence. Committee, who makes the most ridiculous statements. You know, she's compared the Tiananmen Square massacre where 10,000 civilians were killed. Some of them were run over by tanks by the Chinese military. She compares that to Kent State, where there were four killed and nine wounded. She has said that Chinese government can actually be more representative than the American government. But more to the point, Her husband has done massive deals in China to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. And you had this bizarre situation, Newt, in 2010. Dianne Feinstein is the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Her husband co-owns a Chinese computer company called Legend, which for some reason got a contract to provide computers to the U.S. military. Who knows how that happened? But the U.S. Marine Corps Command discovers that the laptops that they're provided are bugged. So the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee's husband co-owns a company that is selling bugged computers to the United States Marine Corps. I mean, it's truly a remarkable situation.
4: But that never broke
2: loose into being a big story, did it? No, it did not. We cite from a court testimony where Marine Corps officers come. It's a commercial litigation case and under oath explain precisely what happened. And the laptops were returned and nothing else happened. That company legend then became part of Lenovo, which is a largely well-known company today. But it never became a story. And you find this kind of stuff occurring with frequency.
4: Haven't in that sense the corporate news media basically been as fully co-opted as, say, the NBA? I mean, they're not going to go out and dig into any of these stories.
2: Yeah. I mean, look at a news outlet like Bloomberg. I mean, they do major business in Beijing. It's a huge core of their business, getting government information and selling it to clients around the world. You look at ABC News. ABC News, they do some good reporting, but they're owned by Disney. And Disney wants to do even more business in China than they're already doing. It's a major problem that major corporations that have very aggressive ambitions in China control a lot of these major news outlets. Just look at some of the instances that have occurred. They understand if you call out China on something, it's going to hurt your bottom line in China.
4: I know from personal knowledge of the people who were involved that Bloomberg News had begun a serious investigation of corruption in China. And they got a message back that said, we will take out all of the Bloomberg facilities in every office in China, and it will cost you about a billion dollars a year. And they stood up for journalistic integrity, right, Newt? That's right. At that point, they caved totally. And the person who told me the story resigned and just said it was so disgusting to watch the Chinese blackmail them and get away with it. And I think that we're seeing this again and again. Now, you have had, not so much in reaction to the Chinese story, but in reaction to various examples of members of Congress who have done suspiciously well in beating the stock market. You had 25 Democrats and two Republicans sign a letter calling for banning members of Congress from owning or trading stock while in office. What's your reaction to the general notion that we have to have some kind of major reform that puts a wall between what members learn as members of Congress and what they do in the marketplace?
2: Well, you know, my view is two things. Number one, insider trading by some members of Congress, certainly not all, is a major problem. And it's also just a question of trust. It has gone on. People know that it goes on. And it's just one other thing that leads Americans to believe that the political class is more self-interested than anything else. The second thing, though, is I believe we've got to have members of Congress invested in the success of our economy. So my view, Newt, is that we should ban options trading by members of Congress. This is where you make a very leveraged bet Nancy Pelosi's husband does this very aggressively to the tune of millions of dollars. So he could stand to lose tens of millions if he bets wrong. And he seems to bet right a whole lot. So you got to ban options trading. I would also say allow members of Congress to own mutual funds, to own index funds, to own exchange traded funds that are sort of broadly based But I'm not sure it's a good idea for members of Congress that, say, sit on the Senate Armed Services Committee to be trading stock in Boeing or Raytheon. It looks unseemly. Even if it's coincidental, which is what they claim and I don't believe, it just looks unseemly. So I think uh, that's a good reform.
4: Do you favor simply requiring them to move towards that kind of an indexed fund where somebody else is managing it? Or would you favor having them put their resources into blind trusts? And how would you handle the spouse challenge? I mean, in the case of Feinstein and Pelosi, the real driving force are their husbands.
2: That's exactly right. You have this problem that spouses, they'll have joint assets, but then they'll only have certain assets that are being held by the spouses. So that's an enormous problem. And you also have the problem of adult children. Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon has a son who runs a hedge fund. Now, I don't know that anything... Wrong is going on there, but you have the problem additionally of adult children. So, you know, it's an enormous problem. I think blind trusts are a great idea in theory. What lawyers have told me is that it prevents the financial manager from communicating trades with the principal, but it does not prevent the principal from calling up and having a chat with a broker and saying, hey, how's your day going? Oh, it's going great. Oh, we got this massive legislation that's going to affect oil companies. Have a great day, and the guy can trade on it. So there's not going to be a silver bullet, but I think we need
4: to make it clear and clean. So if you go to indexed funds, and that's sort of, in a sense, anonymous, which puts you in with everybody else. Would you then require that also be true of the spouse?
2: Yes. Now, here's where I play the card, which is absolutely accurate, which is I'm not a lawyer. I would say for spouses, I would probably try to extend it to adult children, But yes, I think you would extend it. You have to, because at the end of the day, use the example of bribery, Newt. If you bribe a politician or if you bribe their spouse to get a favor from the politician, it doesn't matter. And I think with insider trading, it's insider trading whether the politician themselves makes the trade or whether their spouse does.
4: So you also have, I guess, in terms of the children, you have the Hunter Biden example. (laughs)
2: You do. This is a big problem because as our economy and the world has globalized, corruption has become globalized. And this is, I think, a huge problem. I mean, look, we all know the story of the politician who there's somebody back in the district who wants a paving contract and they hire the congressman's son. And we all know that goes on and that's not good. But it goes to a whole other level when you've got these foreign autocratic regimes that either want something from the United States or are competing with the United States.
4: And the scale of money has exploded. Years ago, I read the Colleen McCullough's seven-volume novel about Julius Caesar. And in the opening volumes, she's describing the decay of the Roman Republic under the sheer weight of money from the entire Mediterranean world. And that people have concluded that it is cheaper to bribe Rome than it is to try to solve problems other ways. And so you had kings and princes and billionaires of that era showing up with huge volumes of resources. And the system, which had been relatively honorable for several hundred years, just begins to crumble. Because that much money excites people to engage in truly vicious behavior. Because having power is that big a deal. It's very, very sobering. And I think the work you've done over your career is a major contribution. But in particular, I think Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win could not be a more timely book. And I really appreciate the amount of time and effort you've put into and your team has put into digging through all the records and putting together something that I think every thoughtful American will find this to be a very sobering and in some ways a very frightening book.
2: Yeah, sadly, it is a frightening book. But, you know, I end the last chapter making the point that there are people on both sides of the aisle in Washington who do want to stand up to China. And the point is we need to start acting on that. We need to start accepting no excuses from the political class. You know, it's interesting you talked about ancient Rome. In China, they have this term. They call it elite capture. And the very simple idea is, you know, why worry about dealing with the messiness of the entire United States? If you can just pay off key elements of the leadership class to at least sort of get out of the way and not oppose what they're doing, you will accomplish your ends a lot easier than trying to go toe to toe with the United States.
4: Yep. I think that's exactly what their strategy is. And I think it's very sobering how well they've done. I want to thank you for joining me. I think your book's going to be a must-read for every American who cares about this country and wants to understand better the threat we face from China. I really hope people will start to pay attention to the degree to which the Biden family and their immediate allies have been profiting from China and hold them accountable. And I just want you to know we'll do what we can to make sure that people know about Red-Handed and why they should read it. Thank you,
2: Newt. It's always a great time to have a conversation with you. Thanks so much for having me.
4: Thank you to my guest, Peter Schweitzer. You can get a link to buy his new book, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan, our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
5: work.